Hello. 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 The Classic Guitar Rock Podcast starts right now. Hi, this is Jeremy Lennon from the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Did you know that one of the most efficient and effective ways for businesses to reach potential customers is by advertising on podcasts? You see, unlike radio, TV, and social media, where advertising is literally background noise or clutter, podcast listeners are much more tuned in and engaged than those audiences. They've tuned in to actually listen to the podcast. And even more important, podcasts are very niche-oriented. This allows businesses to send their message to a very specific and targeted audience. For instance, the Classic Guitar Rock podcast core demographic is 40 to 60-year-old males who like classic rock. Now, if that is your target market, then this podcast is an excellent way to reach them. Oh, and by the way, this podcast is one of the top 3% most popular shows out of over 2 million podcasts globally, according to ListenNotes.com. You would be pleasantly surprised to see how inexpensive it is to advertise on our podcast. If you are a business owner and want to reach a growing audience around the world, you should talk to us while there's still availability. If you're interested, email us at ClassicGuitarRock at Mail.com. That's ClassicGuitarRock at Mail.com. Start, I'd like to say something. There's no reason why you shouldn't have complete confidence in your chances to come out of this thing alive in one piece. From coast to coast, from border to border, from one end to the other, and all points in between, the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast is on. Yes! That's awesome! We crank up and break down the great guitar-driven rock of the 70s and 80s. And you are invited to come along. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes, it's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. And now your hosts, Jeremy and Jeff. One half teaspoon for fast, effective relief. It's time for the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. It's the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Welcome back. What are we up to now? Episode 19, I think. It's ridiculous. Time flies when you're having fun, right? Jeff's not with us here today, but that's not stopping us from getting together. Jeff will be back with us next week, and he doesn't know it yet, but but we'll have an assignment for him when he's back next week. But today I thought it might be fun just to get together for a few minutes have you ever seen these desert island lists, you know, where people ask you for a desert island list? If you're going to be on a desert island, you're stranded on a desert island for a year and you can only take whatever, you know, what what would be on that list? So today I'm going to share with you my 10 desert island albums. Now, I don't know what kind of scenario would have to happen. <laughs> For you to know you're going to be stranded on an island. But, oh, by the way, take 10 albums with you. I don't know how you'll listen to them, but you can take these 10 albums on the <laughs> on the trip with you. So we're going to talk about that list today. Before that, though, I did have just one little news item that I thought was kind of interesting. I'm a Who fan. I like the Who. I'm a fan of the Who. And both Pete Townsend and Roger Daltrey, who are the only two you know, surviving members of the who left have been pretty critical 
about the uh, record business over the last few years. I mean, for good reason, right? The fact is it's, it's a completely different model than it used to be. And a lot of these older artists, these generational artists, what I mean by generational, maybe I should say multi-generational artists, they've been around for a long time. Man, it is hard. It's hard for them to to make money. It's hard for anyone to make money in the record business. But Pete Townsend had made a comment uh, here back around Christmas time that he had written some music or was dabbling in some music, talked to Roger about it. And Peter's actual quote was, he said, Daltrey half liked the idea and said it would be interesting to hear when the music comes. So he basically was writing some music, talked to Roger. Roger's like, well, that sounds interesting. Well, come to find out, Roger had made some statements in the press that that kind of contradicted that. And Townsend said that Daltrey's remarks were, quote, very much at odds with the conversation they had had face to face, end quote. Uh, he says, I think we really need to have another proper conversation. But the point I wanted to get out of this is both Roger Daltrey and Pete Townsend say there will probably not be any more Who albums. And Pete, in fact, talked about the last album he made. He said, yeah, it was great. It was great to make an album. I'm glad the fans liked it. But he ultimately wound up losing money making an album. And he said, well, I can't, I can't continue to do that, right? It used to be bands made money from their albums. Now with streaming and the various ways that we consume music now is it is awfully hard to make money from your actual recorded material. Mostly the way artists make money is from touring or, or some way that they can monetize what they do. I noticed during the pandemic that a lot of artists are going to kind of pay-per-view type things. I know I bought two different times. I bought tickets to watch live Pat Travers concerts. And they were kind of cool. You'd pay 10 bucks. You see a, a 60 minute, 90 minute show live. It was kind of cool. And, and there are artists that are finding kind of creative ways like that to keep their foot in the door. I mean, this is their livelihood. And so they're having to, uh, you know, do things like that. A lot of these artists like the who and the older artists, obviously they have their back catalogs, but now with streaming platforms, you know, they don't really make very much money from streaming in terms of, you know, the percentage compared to the percentages they used to make. So it's a kind of a brave new world in terms of how these artists can make money. So it will be interesting to continue to watch that uh, over the next few years. But hey, when we come back, we're going to check out Jeremy's top 10 list of Desert Island albums. And I want to hear your feedback on these. I want to hear your top 10 list. What 10 albums would you choose if you were going to be stranded on an island for a year? I'd love to hear it. All that's on the way on the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. And today, it's my list of 10 Desert Island albums. If I were going to be stranded on an island for a year and was only allowed to pack in my belongings <laughs> 10 albums, these are the 10 I would take. Now, these are fun, right? Lists like this are fun to make. I get it that they're completely subjective. Some of these albums might not make sense from a album sales standpoint. Obviously, there's a nostalgia factor. We all have that. That's why it's an interesting process is when we have Jeff make his top 10 list, and we'll do this here in the next couple weeks, his will probably be completely different than mine. I would guess that he and I probably won't have any of the same albums on our list. We'll see. We'll see. But that's what makes it fun, right? Is the sub subjectivity of it all. So I'm going to start at 10. I actually put these in order, which was incredibly difficult. And let me also say this. If I were to do this exercise in a month, it might be different. I have a few honorable mentions. They might move on to that list. Some of these I have on the list might move down. You know, things change, right? Years from now, I'm sure this would be completely different. Years ago, this would have been completely different. But at this juncture in time, if I were being jettisoned to a desert island, here is my top 10 list. And I'll, I'll give you the list and I'll, I'll talk just a, a bit about each album and, and why they're so important to me. Coming in at number 10, this is an album from uh, 1976. It's the Boston debut album. This album has been played to death on classic rock radio since it came out. And, and I know there's sometimes this Boston burnout, right? I think on that first album, gosh, probably, uh, if not every track, almost every track gets played on classic rock radio. I mean, listen to this listing. You got more than a feeling, peace of mind, Foreplay Long Time, Rock and Roll Band, Smokin', Hitch a Ride, Something About You, Let Me Take You Home Tonight. I'm pretty sure I have heard every single one of those songs played on the radio. The only one I'm not positive about is maybe Something About You. I don't, I bet I've probably heard that. It's an awesome tune, by the way. All eight of these tracks are phenomenal. And we all know the story of Tom Schultz, right? He was an MIT engineer. He invented stuff. He's a genius. Uh, so much of what he did, not only from the musical standpoint, but from the technology standpoint, had a huge impact. Do you realize albums like Eliminator and Def Leppard's Hysteria all used the Rockman technology, the Rockman sound. That was a big part of how they got their tone. 
was using those little Rockman amps from Tom Schultz's company. So big influence, big impact. And yes, it kind of over time, we get sick of hearing some of these songs. But when you go back and listen to the albums, just the way they sound, the guitar sound, the incredible vocals of Brad Delp, really solid album, really good album, really cutting edge in terms of the influence it had on other bands. In fact, this album is listed in the book, 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. <laughs> so it made it made someone else's list too, but really a great album. Everyone should own this album. Coming in at number nine, we talked about this album in our uh, episode about the greatest albums of 1980. Coming in at number nine is British Steel from Judas Priest. This is the album that really kicked open the U.S., especially for Judas Priest. When this album came out, people started to take notice. Interestingly enough, I started getting into Judas Priest right around the time this album came out, but it wasn't this album that I was listening to. I was listening to Hellbent for Leather and really like that. And as soon as British Steel came out, I got it. And then I got Point of Entry and then I got screaming for vengeance. But this album, I think if you were going to pick one Judas Priest album, if you could only pick one, this is the one you get. Yes, it's got some of those songs, again, that we hear way too often, Living After Midnight and Breaking the Law. Nothing wrong with those songs, right? But those are the ones that we kind of get burned out on. But man, you've got the Rage, you've got Metal Gods, you've got so many other great tunes on this album. This is quintessential Rob Halford, by the way. I think this album and the following album, actually, Point of Entry, which is kind of a controversial choice, I think from a vocal performance standwise, I think these are Rob Halford's best albums. But British Steel is the quintessential Priest album. In my mind, British Steel is the last album of what we call classic Priest. The first album of what I call modern Priest is Screaming for Vengeance. So there's a funky little transitional album in the middle called Point of Entry, which, by the way, is my second favorite Judas Priest album. That makes Priest fans cringe when I say that because a lot of Priest fans aren't big fans of Point of Entry. I love Point of Entry. But in my mind, those are the two periods. There's classic priest, there's modern priest, and right in between is point of entry. I'm much more of a fan of the classic priest stuff than the modern priest. This will get me in trouble when I say this. The last good priest album to me was Defenders of the Faith. And I think that was 84 when that came out. And and I, I, I know a lot of people love Painkiller and all the stuff. I just... They lost me after uh, Defenders. But coming in at number nine is British Steel by Judas Priest. Coming in at number eight on my Desert Island list is a great album from 1978. It's the debut album of Dire Straits. And I got to tell you, I was in fifth grade, I think, fifth or sixth grade when this album came out. And I don't know what it was. The first time I heard Sultans of Swing... I was mesmerized. I don't know what it was. This guitar sound was so clean and so so poppy. 
I don't mean poppy as in popular music. I mean poppy. It had a poppy sound. It had a just a bright, bristly poppy sound. And and I was I was mesmerized. And the kind of Bob Dylan esque vocals of Mark Knopfler kind of just sucked me in. And it was a few years later, probably around eighty or eighty one, when I actually bought the whole LP. And this was an album. It's not your typical hard rock album, right? But this was an album that I just I just loved. It was an album I would put on at night when I went to bed, right? When I would stack up my <laughs> my five LPs on my record changer at night, Dire Straits was always the last one because it was kind of on the mellower side. And that was the one that I could go to sleep to. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I, I meant it was just a very relaxing, groovy album uh, and, and that was always the last one I'd stack up on my changer. But this is just a, a great album. We all know Sultan's a Swing, phenomenal guitar playing. But check out songs like Down to the Waterline, In the Gallery, uh, Wild West. In, I mean, they're all great songs. This is one of those albums all the way through. I just love it. It's a beautiful album. Again, this is one everyone should own. The debut album of Dire Straits from 1978. All right, my number seven song is also from 1978, a little earlier in the year in 1978, came out in February. This is Van Halen. Van Halen, Van Halen, the debut album. And I actually didn't hear this album probably until about 1980. I, I, I In fact, I think I heard Van Halen 2 first, because there was some more radio play, you know, Dance the Night Away and stuff was getting some radio play when it came out. And then I kind of went backwards from there. But this is the album that sailed a million guitar players, right? I mean, Eddie Van Halen rewrote the book on electric guitar. And I've, I mean, I've said this, I can't remember if I've said it on the podcast or maybe on my YouTube channel. There are these generational guitar players, you know, you could say Chuck Berry was a generational guitar player. He changed, he completely changed the way guys played guitar. And you could say, well, he borrowed that from the, some of the blues guys. And that's probably true. But, but Chuck Berry was the, was the guy in the fifties in the sixties. You got Jimi Hendrix again, generational guitar player that changed everything. And then a decade later, You've got Eddie Van Halen, generational guitar player that changed everything. And this is the album that that started it all. I mean, you've got Eruption. You've got You Really Got Me, Running With The Devil, Ain't Talking About Love. I mean, it is just a phenomenal album. And it kind of goes without saying that this has got to be in your collection as well. Okay, coming in at number six on my list is from cheap trick it's their in color album came out in 1977 and if your exposure to cheap trick is limited to the hits let me just say do yourself a favor and dig in to their catalog cheap trick has never stopped touring they have never stopped putting out albums since their first album came out in 76 they've never stopped and they have got some amazing music uh throughout the years you know the hits have to pay the bills 
So if all you know is I want you to want me and surrender and the flame, seriously, go check out some of their other stuff. In Color is the ultimate power pop record. Super influential. If you're a fan of big, crunchy guitars with big melodies and catchy hooks, you got to own this album. You have to own this album. It's, it's that good. The only bad song on this album is I Want You to Want Me. And I'm not saying the song's bad. I'm saying the studio version of I Want You to Want Me sucks. Okay, it's bad. We all know the Budokan version, which is a rockin' tune, and, and which is great. But when you hear the album version, you go, what the heck was that? Because it does suck. Every other song on this album, to me, sounds like a hit. It's really good. Hello there, big eyes, downed, you're all talk. One of my favorites is Oh Caroline. It's a great one. Come on, come on. It's one of my favorites. So good to see you. I guarantee you, you cannot play So Good to See You and not sing along with it. <laughs> you can't do it. And let me just say, Robin Zander, still one of the greatest rock singers ever. Even at his age, I'd put him up against about anyone for for whatever reason he and sammy hagar it's like the years have been very good to them they both still sing very good robin zander completely underrated he in my mind is probably one of the top five rock vocalists ever but this album again if you can only own one cheap trick album in color is the one to own and that's why it's number six on my Desert Island album list. Okay, coming in at number five on my list, and it's no secret if you've listened to a few episodes of the podcast, I'm a huge Michael Shanker fan. My number five album is from his time with UFO, and it's a live album. It's Strangers in the Night. For my money, the greatest live album ever recorded. Again, this should be in everyone's collection UFO is one of those bands. I would say the same thing about Cheap Trick. You know, there are some bands that you hear them on the record and you go see them live and you're disappointed. There's other bands that you hear the record and then you go see them live and they're better live than on the recordings. For whatever reason, the magic of their live performances isn't always captured on the recording. UFO is one of those bands. UFO, who has... One of the greatest lead singers in classic rock in the person of Phil Mogg and one of the greatest guitar players ever in classic rock in Michael Shanker. It's lightning in a bottle. Not surprisingly, there was a lot of conflict in the band. <laughs> and in fact, Michael left the band during this tour. So they're out on the Obsession tour. They're promoting their album Obsession. Uh, so this is recorded in, uh, in 1978 in a few different places. Let's see. It was recorded in Chicago, Louisville, uh, mostly in Chicago, it looks like, but but recorded in a few different places. And the resulting album is is magic. And like I said, Michael Schenker left during this tour. Fortunately, he didn't leave before we got this recording, right? Because it really is that good. You hear Michael at the height of his powers. Phil Mogg's vocals are great. And it's just a great album. High points on this album. 
Well, they're all good, right? Natural thing that they start off with is great. Only You Can Rock Me is great. Doctor Doctor is great. Love to Love may be my favorite UFO song. And it's kind of a ballad, but it has one of the most epic guitar solos you will ever hear. It's got a beautiful piano part. It's got a great vocal performance. It's just a magical song. This whole album is great. It's it's a, a double album, by the way. So you get a lot of music on it. And here's what's really cool. If you listen to the deluxe version now, if you stream the deluxe version, I mean, it's like twice as long. They've got all kinds of added material and bonus material, and it's all good stuff. But if you want to hear some of the tastiest guitar playing ever, some of the greatest rock and roll vocals ever, you're going to find it on this album, Strangers in the Night from UFO, and number five on my list. Coming in at number four is another debut album. I've noticed I've got a few debut albums on here. Here's another one. It is the debut album of the cars and it came out in 1978 i i like albums from 1978 apparently it was a good year in music (laughs) but the debut album from the cars again like the boston album is just a staple on classic rock radio probably every single song on this album with the exception of the fourth song on side one is a staple on classic rock radio you will hear all of these songs played Uh, That number four song on side one is I'm in touch with your world, which is kind of stupid. I mean, it's not a terrible. Well, it's kind of a terrible song. It's stupid. But the rest of the album is absolute magic. Side two. I love the way they blend it all together like one song. You know, one song just fades right into the next one. And and one of the coolest things you can do is just. Lay down with a pair of headphones and listen to side two of the Cars debut album. Elliot Easton is one of the tastiest guitar players ever. Just is a master at playing these great, hooky, catchy guitar solos. You combine that with Rick Ocasek kind of quirky style and Ben Orr's style. By the way, Ben Orr, people always think of Rick Ocasek as the lead singer of the cars. Well, he's the 50% singer of the cars, (laughs) you know, Ben Orr, I haven't done a side to side comparison, but I would bet that Ben Orr actually sang more of their hits than Rick Ocasek did. I don't know. We'll, we'll check that out, but this album is unbelievable and is really ahead of its time. I mean, when you think that it came out in 1978 that's pretty amazing because it sounds to me, it it doesn't sound dated yet. You know, I'm sure the day will come where I know that sounds really dated, but it just has a really cool sound, really hip sound. And it's one of my favorites. That's why it's number four on my list. Okay. Coming in at number three, this is an album that we recently talked about. It's ZZ tops, 1973 classic, Trace Hombres. Guys, I can't tell you the amount of time I spent listening to this album. And it is just a cool album. And I mean cool in several different ways, right? ZZ Top is just the epitome of cool. They're funny. You know, they've got this funky persona. 
Uh, they write these silly songs, but they are cool. And Billy Gibbons is the ultimate example of cool. In fact, on my YouTube channel, I just did a guitar lesson on Billy Gibbons' lazy power chord style. And and what that lesson is all about is really kind of a metaphor for the band in general. And that is that Billy's style is very efficient, very economical. There's no wasted motion. And what I say on that video is if you watch Billy Gibbons live, you are amazed at how little his hands move, both hands, his right hand, his picking hand, and his fretboard hand. He just, they barely move. He has a very light touch. He's barely moving. And yet he has this massive sound. And, and that's to me is the band, right? They keep it simple. Their approach is simple. And Billy Gibbons says, you know, yeah, we've been mixing up the same three chords for 50 years now. And, and that's true. But they do it in such a way that it's never gets old. And ZZ Top, like Elliot Easton, is one of these guys that just does not know how to play a wrong note. It's just impossible for him to play something that doesn't sound good. Coolest song ever is called Master of Sparks, and it's on this album, and you got to check it out. Trace Ombres by ZZ Top is my number three song. Coming in at number two, this one's from 1976, by the way. I, I don't want mean to minimize how great the album is, but I do want you to know right out of the gate that a lot of this is nostalgia. Simply the the fact that I love this album so much and I played it so much and I listened to it so much and I have every single nook and cranny of this album burned into my brain. Uh, and that is Rush's 2112. I've shared on this podcast. I talked about this uh, album, in fact, on one of our episodes. I, I shared how in 1980, a friend of mine, we snuck into his brother's room. We listened to this album and I was mesmerized from the first time I heard it. And I went on a quest to get this album and I went to the record store and couldn't find it. I found all the world's a stage, which had a live version of 2112. So I settled for that. I love that. But then when I finally was able to get this album, it was like the happiest day of my life, <laughs> but this is quintessential rush. If you can only own rush one rush album, this is the one you have to own. Rush is made up of three virtuosos. Neil Peart, Getty Lee, Alex Lifeson, I think are in the top five in their category of all time. I really believe that. Alex Lifeson, I know, doesn't get as much publicity as Getty and Neil did, but he is every bit as talented and as influential as anyone in the group. And this album is incredible. Uh, we know the 2112 part, right? But side two is awesome also. There's some great tracks on there. Something for Nothing, Twilight Zone, Passage to Bangkok, whole album, front to back, awesome album. Rush's 2112 is my number two album. Okay, coming in at number one, and again, a lot of nostalgia connected to this as well, but my number one Desert Island album is Blizzard of Oz by Ozzy Osbourne. This was a very important album for Ozzy, obviously. 
you know, after he was fired from Black Sabbath and and literally was down and out in L.A. And people like to complain about Sharon. And I do, too. You know, you hear the stories about how she treated Jakey Lee, how she treated Bob Daisley. And it's easy to have an unfavorable opinion of Sharon Osbourne. But Sharon Arden, you know, before she became Sharon Osbourne, Sharon Arden literally saved Ozzy Osbourne's life. I really believe that. Had she not been in the picture and basically been driving him and keeping him from killing himself, we probably never would have had a post-Black Sabbath Ozzy Osbourne to even talk about. So she deserves credit for that. This album introduced us, of course, to Randy Rhodes. And Randy Rhodes, one of the most influential guitar players, a tragedy that we lost him at such a young age. Randy Rhodes, Jimi Hendrix, Buddy Holly, those are the types of guys that you you just think, what a shame. What might they have produced had they not died? And I really feel that way about, about Randy Rhodes. He was magic. Again, I use the term lightning in a bottle already, but he literally was lightning in a bottle. And so much of what became kind of cliched metal of the 80s later on uh, was taken from from either Eddie Van Halen or Randy Rhodes, two very influential guitar players. But Randy was just a brilliant student of multiple idioms, right? Part of him was really into the... He was a big Alice Cooper fan, actually. He wasn't really a Black Sabbath fan and was not wild about playing Black Sabbath tunes. He was a big Alice Cooper fan. He was a big fan of, like, Mott the Hoople. He was a big fan of, you know, the British kind of glam stuff and a big classical music fan. And you you hear a lot of the classical influences in a lot of the things that he did. And I'm not going to say he was the first one, but he was the real prominent player that really started to introduce this use of modes and and a very theoretical approach to what he did. And yet he did it in such a way that still had a lot of feeling, a lot of passion, a lot of fire. And this album really is an important album. Now, having said that, Diary of a Madman is every bit as powerful. I just didn't choose that for my list because I didn't want to have two albums from the same artist on my list, but I was going back and forth. Do I pick Blizzard? Do I pick Diary? Because they are both that powerful. And again, I'm I'm not trying to be negative here, but to me, the magic of Ozzy really kind of ended after the Randy albums. Nothing against Jakey Lee. Jakey Lee's phenomenal. Zach Wilde's phenomenal. But it was really those first two albums that inspired me. And that's why it's number one on my list. Just a huge, tremendous album. So let me go through my list really quick. At number 10, I had Boston. Number nine, Judas Priest, British Steel. Number eight, Dire Straits, their debut album. Number seven, Van Halen One. Number six, Cheap Tricks in Color. Number five, UFO Strangers in the Night. Number four, The Cars debut album. Number three, ZZ Top's Trace Hombres. Number two, Rush's 
2112. And coming in at number one was Blizzard of Oz. I do have just a few honorable mentions. And these are ones I have this list of albums I wanted to put in, but I just, I, you know, I had to make the cut somewhere. And like I said at the beginning, in a month, this list might be different. It just kind of depends on where my head's at at the time. But my honorable mentions are Iron Maiden's Peace of Mind. I think the best Iron Maiden album, great album. Led Zeppelin Four, of course, I mean, that's a huge album. You got Black Dog, you got Rock and Roll, you got Stairway to Heaven. I also had Michael Shanker Group's Assault Attack, which might kind of seem like a, uh, that's not one that usually shows up super high on lists like this. But to me, that was a massive album. I love the guitar playing. I love Graham Bonnet on that album. It's my favorite MSG album. And I played the crap out of that album. So that that was my honorable mention. Now, I would love to hear your list. So email us, and we'll talk about these in upcoming episodes. Email us, classicguitarrock at mail.com. And I would love to hear the 10 albums that you would pick. Let me know what you think of, of my choices. Am I crazy? <laughs> Do you agree? And then let me know what your choices would be. I also want to take a minute to thank our sponsor, Braun and Jarvis Family Dentistry right here in Spokane, Washington. Guys, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time on the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Please like, subscribe, and share. You can email us at classicguitarrock at mail.com. We'll see you for the next episode of the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast.